Welcome to Locksmith Talk with Loa. I'm your podcast host, William Link. We are now in our third series of workplace communication. and We will be covering dyadic conversation, social styles, and uncertainty avoidance into the leader-member exchange theory. Our guest is Guy Robinson. So Guy, how are you doing today? Everything is going well. Excellent. Weather is perfect this time of the year. Just having a wonderful time and uh, joined doing the many Zoom classes I've been going through. So, and I want to thank you for uh, for hosting this uh, this uh, podcast session, Bill. I really you are very welcome, Guy, and very appreciated to have you on the show. Now, we talked last time a little bit about uncertainty avoidance. Can you tell us a little more about high uncertainty avoidance and low uncertainty avoidance in individuals? Sure. Um, I, you know, thank you for asking, um, Bill. I believe in management that it's paramount to understand the uncertainty avoidance level of the individuals that you're managing. Now, many people have may sound familiar to people, but let me just explain what uncertainty avoidance is and why it is important when you're managing individuals. Sure. Uh, so we get this term from a, a man by the name of uh, Geert Hofstede. And in the early 1970s, he used uh, actually IBM as his laboratory because they had worldwide offices. He was able to study all the employees of IBM for many years. And one of the dimensions, he had different, he had different dimensions that he put people under, but one of the dimensions I found intriguing and is important for management is an individual's uncertainty avoidance level. Uh, just because by not understanding that individual's uncertainty avoidance level can lead to a lot of frustration for a manager. I said this in the beginning during our first podcast that your uncertainty avoidance level is a trait and you are genetic, it is genetically inbred in you. You cannot change it. And what the uncertainty avoidance level is the avoidance of ambiguous situations. Doesn't matter what that situation is. If you've never faced it before, you want to avoid it. Now, what, uh, what Hofstede discovered was that as a whole, countries have either high levels of uncertainty avoidance or low levels of uncertainty avoidance. I'll give you an example. The United States has a low level of uncertainty avoidance where we get into ambiguous situations all the time. Germany, on the other hand, very high level of uncertainty avoidance. If you've ever been to Germany, they follow the rules. Well, by countries, that's one thing, but that does not mean that everybody in Germany has a high level of uncertainty avoidance. That doesn't mean that everyone in the United States, especially with the melting pot of our country, has a low level of uncertainty avoidance. While the majority of individuals do in the United States, you will have people that work for you that you have to manage that have a high level of uncertainty avoidance. And this, un this high level of uncertainty, this level of uncertainty avoidance is what you're going to have to know of that individual in order to manage them correctly. And I ran into these situations early on. I didn't know how to handle them. 
It's actually the reason why I started studying this so deeply is because I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know how to handle someone like that. I'm going to give you an example in a minute on how that kind of backfired by handling things a certain way. But okay. in, uncert in uncertainty avoidance, within, a, it, within, different, within different organizations, that levels of uncertainty avoidance can vary. Some individuals may have a high tolerance for ambiguity, and they may perceive certain situations as less certain than others with low tolerance. Each organization is going to have a mixture of both. Supervisors who understand uncertain levels of their subordinate under their control, that they are able to communicate more effectively with these individuals. Now, before we get started, let me give you an example of the different types. And you may, if you're no individuals working for you, you may be able to place them in um, different categories. However, there is an uncertainty avoidance test that oh. you can have individuals take. And I'll, and I'll mention that at the end. Now, people with low uncertainty avoidance, this is the type of person they are. They take one day at a time. Time is free. No big deal. Rules are basically suggestions. Eh, I'm sitting here at the red light. There's nobody coming. I can go. They have a huge belief in common sense. They have very low stress levels. Now, if I'm going to communicate with someone with a low level of uncertainty avoidance, I want to communicate. I, need, I don't need to micromanage that individual. That just stresses them out. I, give, I need to give them a generalist guideline for the day's activities. They will get it done. They always work best when they rely on their own skills. They just need the basic rules and mission of the company. I'm not saying they don't need to be managed. Like I said at the beginning of this, we all need to be managed. Even if we own our own company, the public manages us. We still have to make sure we're doing what's right and according to the company policy. People with low uncertainty avoidance, they have a desire for advancement and management positions. If you're looking for innovative ideas for your company, they're the people you should be looking for. Not looking for, looking to. They also not resistant to change. They're not going to give you a problem about it. You want to make a change? Eh, it's okay with them. Let's go for it. We know that you can kind of let up on those type of individuals. However, you will have individuals with high uncertainty avoidance. To them, everyday uncertainty is a threat and must be fought. It's in their mind. Time is money. Every bit of their time, they feel that it's costing them something. They need written rules and regulations. They believe in expert opinions. If you know somebody with uncertainty avoidance or you know somebody, oh, let me see. Let me, let me talk to somebody about that. Let me get the opinions of somebody about that. And to you, it may be just, come on, it's common sense. People with, low with high uncertainty avoidance need the opinion of experts. They also have a highest stress and anxiety level. If you're going to communicate with your employees that have a high uncertainty avoidance level, you need to give them an exact accounting of the day's activities. You got to realize they are high stress. They need your assurance. They need your performance insurance on a daily basis. If you want to be an excellent manager, if you want to talk to them and you're, you're in close proximity, just a quick, hey, you did good today. 
People with low uncertainty avoidance, they don't need to hear that. It's nice when you say it, but it's not something they really need. Also, people with low uncertainty, with high uncertainty avoidance, they would rather be a specialist in their field than a manager. Don't try to put them in charge if they don't want to be there. They do need clear and detailed company rules or detailed way of doing things, and they do not like change. Now, to you, it may be, I'm not going to be able to give them rules on every situation, but we got to try our best because we have to know that when they face ambiguity, that stresses them out. And if they're an excellent employee, if they're an excellent subordinate, the last thing we want to do is keep them stressed out. So these are the different, different types of the individuals that you're going to encounter that you manage. Granted, it's America. We live in the United States. Most of the individuals we manage will have low uncertainty avoidance. However, we are going to have some high uncertainty avoidance individuals that we manage. Now, I'm going to give you an example on how many years ago, probably 25 years ago, I was managing medium-sized locksmith company. And there was one individual there. He was a great employee. He was always at work on time. He was an excellent locksmith. In all ways, there was no problem. However, he had a very high level of uncertainty avoidance. The owner and myself, we had both very low levels of uncertainty avoidance. Our whole thing was just go do it. Get it done. This individual would call us on the phone after every single job to ask different questions needed reassurance on everything. And being that I didn't know what I didn't know, and I needed to still learn a lot about managing, I would get quite frustrated. And time after time, I would tell him, just do what you think. Just do what you think. You know this business. Just get it done. Well, one time, that kind of bit me. Now, I'm going to use it because we're talking to a lot of locksmiths. Uh, locksmiths will understand this example. This individual was given a job to go do. All of a sudden, I didn't hear from the individual, and I was waiting for the individual to call me. So, you know, this is before we had all the master key codes on a computer and on a file cabinet. I had to give the individual the next change for this large facility he was going to do. He was going to do a few cylinders. I had to give him the next changes off the master key and list. Didn't hear from him, didn't hear from him. All of a sudden, they said he's on the phone. And he was always already finished another job. I said, how could you be finished the other job when I was waiting for you to call me for the new codes? He says, well, when I got to the job, you always told me to think for myself. So I just made them up. <laughs> was I upset? Of course I was upset. Looking back at it, why should I be? For over a year, almost every day, I told this individual to think for themselves. I didn't tell them when to think for themselves. I didn't tell them how. I just told them to do it. They just picked the wrong, in my view, they picked the wrong time to do it. And in most people's views, they did. However, I was mismanaging at the time. That individual needed to be managed differently. And so it was pretty much my fault that I was not managing that individual correctly because I was not, I did not take 
into account their high level of uncertainty avoidance. And it was frustrating to me in dealing with them. And I'm sure my way of managing was highly frustrating to them. Had I adjusted and been more micro with this one individual, the only one that required it, the whole company, everything would have run smoother with less frustrations on both parts. Well, Guy, uh, I think the real fun is going to begin right now because we are going to be tying together everything that we've discussed and learned over the last two episodes. So let's start with leadership. In terms of workplace communication, what is leadership? Well, leadership, leadership, you're a leader when you're trying to impart your vision uh, when you're res- when you're responsible, when you have direct reports for people under you, you're responsible for the work that they're doing. We say, well, what if they do bad work? Well, you have to fire them. A leader has to fire somebody that's doing bad work. That's being a leader. Uh, they're not listening. They're not. Well, I have to fire them. But it also means that I have to manage them correctly. And I believe, and many studies believe, using the correct social style. And understanding their uncertainty avoidance level, either I'm going to, which the correct social style is how I'm going to communicate with them, how many words I'm going to speak, how the type of communication, understanding their uncertainty avoidance level is how often I will communicate with them. Do they need to be micromanaged? Do they not need to be managed much at all? That's what I have to determine. Well, that makes sense. Now, I'm understanding that leadership behavior falls into what people would call three domains. What are those three domains, Guy? Leadership behavior falls into a leader-based domain. It falls into a follower-based domain. And it falls into a relation-based domain. Leader-member exchange works best with a relationship-based domain. Your small business works best with a relationship-based domain. You want to establish a relationship, a type of relationship with your employee, your subordinate, because you have got to rely on them when you are not able there to make the decisions. Now, let me stop and define a couple of things real quick. You are gonna have two types of employees and it's gonna be okay to have these couple of types. One is a relation-based employee. You've developed a relationship with them. They're doing, performing the functions at work like you want them to perform. And they have, you have the buy-in from them. They want the business to succeed as you want the business to succeed. Then you're going to have a transactional type of employee. That's okay. Not everyone is going to buy in. You've got to determine who the relationship-based employees are and who the transactional-based employees are. One thing with leader member exchange is this will bust the myth of I treat all my employees the same. No, you don't. No one does. You are going to have a stronger relationship with some employees than you are other employees. But it's okay that you have a transactional employee. Let me give you an idea of a transactional employee. That employee, you hire them to come clean the floors because you like a clean shop. They come in for two hours a day. They get the shop clean. 
They get all the key machines vacuum, whatever. But that's all you need them for. You may need them to stock a shelf. You're going to pay them so much an hour when they're finished, they're going to go home. They're not going to give your business a second thought. That's a transactional employee. That's fine. There's many transactional people in the world. The relationship-based employee is you have built a strong relationship. They're going to invest themselves. You, you're going to invest in them. They're going to have a buy-in and they want your business to succeed. Where the transactional employee is like, if your business fails, I'm just going to the street and clean somebody else's floors. So that's going to be the difference. You're going to have a stronger relationship with those th- with the, with relationship-based employee than you will have a transactional-based employee. Now, the reason why I gave you the three domains is in small businesses and using leader member exchange, you want the relationship-based domain. Now, in a leader-based domain, the leader establishes and communicates the vision. And you always have to be there instilling pride and and, and what the vision is. In a follower-based domain, uh, although I've studied the follower-based domain, I kind of feel that's the inmates running the asylum. The leader's just like, okay, just send me my check. I don't care. Whatever y'all do is fine. Just as long as I get my check, I'm not going to bother. So they're pretty much hands off. But then the third domain, the relationship-based domain, is that's where the leader or the owner builds strong relationships with the followers. There's mutual learning and accommodation in the relationship-based domain. And in your small businesses, this is pretty much what's going to operate the best. You don't want to have to go in every day and, and be charismatic and preach and instill the pride and, 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 and be inspiring. And, and you're not just going to let your people do whatever they want. So you're going to have a relationship. And that's where leader member exchange comes in, because leader member exchange works in a didactic method to develop a relation based following. They're going to act like you because you have a relationship. They're going to care about your business and run your business the way you want it run. Now, there's some advantages to all three domains. In leader-based, the leader, they're a rallying point for the organization. The leader by themselves can initiate wholesale change, just making a decision. In follower-based, uh, most of the followers, uh, it makes the most of uh, the skills or the capabilities of the followers. It frees up the leader's time. They really don't have to be there that much. But in a small business, we know if we take our eye off our business for too long, problems can come about. In a relationship-based uh, domain, relation-based, it accommodates the needs of subordinates. It elicits superior work from different types of individuals. Remember, I'm talking about the uncertainty avoidance level and the social styles. Well, because this is relation based, you're not just walking in there shouting orders or or giving a rah-rah speech and, and, and walking out. You're actually developing a relationship with each employee. How either how deep that relationship will go will be determined by yourself. Also, there are some disadvantages, and I want to cover the disadvantages of these of these domains. And uh, the leader-based, as you could think, it's very leader-dependent. If you have a manager and it's a leader-based business and that your manager controls everything, what happens if the manager decides to leave? All of a sudden, that was the whole business. It's really not good for us, us the small to medium-sized businesses. 
The follower base, man, it depends on the follower's willingness to work hard. Depends on their initiative, that they're going to come to work every day and give it 110%. Probably not ideal in our type, in, in the small and medium-sized trade-related businesses. There is a downside to the relationship-based relationship business, but it's what we already discussed. And what did we discuss? It's not a magic pill. It's time-consuming. You are in it for the long haul with your subordinates. It takes time to develop that relationship. It takes time to go through the different stages and get them to do things as you would want it. So yes, the only downside really to a relationship-based business where you've developed relationships with your employees is that it takes time. You've got to put the work in. That was good, guy. That that was nice that you had a good differentiation for each, and that made a lot of sense. So now let's pivot back to the leader-member exchange theory. You said that the leader-member exchange theory can be broken down into various roles or stages. So let's take a moment to go over each. And for our listeners, a little secret, there's three of them. Go ahead, guy. Right. There's, there's three stages that it takes place in. There's no set time limit from, to move from one stage to the next. The first stage is the role-taking stage. And this represents really the first encounter between the employee-employee, supervisor-subordinate. And this works to the extent that each party views the other as willing to contribute to the relationship. The role-taking stage, it could only take a short amount of time from hours to months. Like I said, it's up to the supervisor how long the first stage will take. Let's give some examples. You have a new employee that comes in. Let's take a locksmith shop. The key machines need to be cleaned every single morning before we start the day. Vacuum, get all the, the brass cleaned up. I actually worked at a locksmith shop like that one time in the uh, in the mid to late 70s. Very busy place. Cut hundreds and hundreds of keys a day. A lot of brass. Came in every morning. We cleaned it. Well, that's a stage. Because if you give it, that's pretty easy to say to do. You tell the employee, the new subordinate, hey, this is what your job is every morning. Now, after two, three, four days, they haven't done it. If they can't follow that small task, you know they're not going to follow the large task. So that gives you, they, they have not moved, they have not showed you that you're giving them those small tasks to accomplish in the role-taking stage that is non-negotiable. You don't want to know how they would, how, you know, what their idea isn't on. These are not difficult tasks. These are small tasks that you give them to see that they can be completed. So it's up to you as the supervisor to determine how long you will take, how long that rule-taking stage will last. It tests the subordinate's potential. You, you know, you can communicate the role using a performance request. You ask the subordinate to do something, you tell them to do it, you ask them to do it, and that subordinate actually must accept or reject the request. I want the key machines cleaned every morning. The next morning you come in, they're not done. 
They rejected the request. Now, you have got to determine whether your request, if that supervisor, excuse me, if that subordinate is allowed to move to the next role or not. Generally, that's why you have 90-day probationary periods. That's why you have probationary periods for different types of businesses. You're given easy tasks, and they, they want to make sure that they can accomplish those tasks, whatever that task may be. But, it, but like I said, what did we say about relationship-based? It's hard work. You've got to put the time in. So you, as the manager or leader, must say, this is what I want done. This is how I want you to do it. And I want to see if it gets done. The next is the rulemaking stage. This stage is going to be a little bit more advancement. It starts at the completion of the role-taking stage. You start to get a mutual respect of the employee that you're giving the orders to. You come in. It's really nice. You see that all the key machines are clean. You see the floors mop. You see the simple tasks are done. And those of you who've been a manager or those of you who have been an owner, when you see the simple tasks are done, it may seem simple to the employee, but you're so used to things not getting done that when it gets done there, it's just like, wow, they listened to what I had to say. They're, I, 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 they're getting the task done. It's nice to see that it's done. Once you see the task are getting done, the communication begins to influence. You start to see each other's attitudes and behaviors. You as the supervisor, you start to communicate more complicated, more complicated tasks. Not only that, the supervised subordinate starts to take on more complicated tasks. There's nothing like when I've moved from different levels, I've had many managers. And while no one is perfect, excuse me, as an employee, no one is perfect. I've, I've been self-employed. I've owned businesses. I've been employed. Everything's the same. They're just a little different. I enjoy it all. However, I've always had my managers say one of the things they always said was he always does what I ask him to do. And I always do. If my manager asks me to do something, I get it done. Because I know there's nothing more gratifying to a manager because they're busy. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know that the owner has so much on their mind. If you could just do what they ask you to do is everything. Now, in doing this, in completing the task, you also become aware of a, the sense-making process. What you're doing is that's perspective of each other. In perspective, you get each other's perspective, and that plays an important role in the sense-making of it. You start learning each other's perspective, how things sound to each other. This is where social styles come in. And the perspective, is this is the degree into which the supervisor will ask or listen to you or incorporate your perspective into the situation. We talked about this negotiation where you gave the employees, the employee or the subordinate um, uh, something to do and you showed them, I want it done like this. Well, since they did everything else like you want it done, 
you are more now open to some negotiation if they have a different perspective on how the task should be accomplished. It doesn't mean you have to agree with that they may be wrong. You may be, but you may all of a sudden see that you were wrong in how you were expecting them to complete the task, that there's a better way. However, since the beginning tasks were already completed correctly, you are more open to hearing the negotiation or perspective of the subordinate or employee. So in this, what happens in this rulemaking stage, you're going to notice. We talked about leader memory exchange, LMX for short, that in this, when this rulemaking stage starts getting completed, you're going to notice some things, and this has been studied, creativity is enhanced. And that there is a natural incentive in this stage for promoting creativity and subordinates. Ah. No business can survive without changing. No business can survive without adding some creativity on different ways to handle things. You'll notice that subordinates or employees become more motivated. They will go the extra mile for their company. This is that relation-based system that you're fostering, not the transactional. Transactional employees, they don't go the extra mile. You're paying them a dollar to do such and such. That's all they're doing. But in relation-based, you will notice that the employee or subordinate goes the extra mile. Productivity goes up. In this stage, when followed, you will notice that productivity, that your employees or subordinates are much more productive when their opinions are taken into consideration. Ask Alboy at our manufacturing plants. It's amazing how they take, and I, and, and I think it's so wonderful because the factory workers who are installing, putting together the locks, they can always go to their manager at any time and say, you know what? I think we can get this done. I think we can get it done faster. And, it, and it's really motivating for when a subordinate tells their manager, hey, I've got this idea. And this manager says, you know, you're right. They get awards. And things are moved around according to that subordinate's recommendations it means they were listened to. It means they had a great idea. There, uh, in, in the rulemaking stage, when you take in the sense make the perspective or sense making and the negotiation, when you start talking about what needs to be done and listening to them instead of just saying, oh, no, I've done it this way for 100 years. It's always going to be done that way. You will foster creativity. You will increase motivation and you will increase productivity. This is not just theory. This is not just something we think is going to happen. There's multiple studies that this does happen. The last part of the stage is the role routinization stage. This is what you are aiming for as an employer, manager. You don't have time to constantly manage or wonder whether things are going on right. So in this stage, when interlocking behaviors develop, you start seeing your employees doing things like you would do them. Start answering customers' questions or start treating customers like you would treat them. So there's a trust and a loyalty and a respect that's developed. 
in this stage, your relationship stabilizes. You as a supervisor understand your subordinate strengths and weaknesses. The subordinate understands your desire without being told. The roles that you had them and the performances that you have them go through in the two stages are institutionalized and become second nature. And the supervisor and subordinate share a unique relationship where uh, uh, predictability creates mutual and beneficial behaviors, which leads to high performance of everyone in the organization. And this is what we're trying to achieve with the leader member exchange. Well, Guy, let me ask you this. How can supervisors move from one of these roles that you just explained to the next? Well, when you when the supervisors, and this is where the hard work comes in at, and the supervisor has to make some decisions. It can't be made for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll take a locksmith shop as an example, since we're talking to locksmiths. And when I started at my first locksmith shop, they didn't say, hey, go pull the steering wheel off this General Motors car and make a key for it. Right. What they did was, hey, there's a thousand keys there that need to be stamped. Because if I couldn't stamp the thousand keys right, I could, wasn't going to be, they weren't going to hand me tools to go take a steering wheel down on the General Motors. Mm-hmm. The key machines need to be cleaned every morning. If I can't clean the key machines right, then I'm not allowed to do other things. So I remember starting and the first thing I had to do was make sure the key machines were clean. Second, they would allow me to stamp the keys if I could stamp them straight. I mean, because there's nothing worse than cockeyed stamping on keys with the, with the company's name. If you do that right, and the supervisor has to determine, okay, we can move from this stage to the next stage to the next stage. I was not allowed to talk to the customer in the beginning about what was the correct lock for their door. But after I listened and learned the different types from the owner and the managers and a customer would walk in, then I was trusted to make a recommendation. But that doesn't come right in the beginning. That comes after you complete the other task correctly. Okay. Well, that, that, did that answer your question? Yes. Yes, that does. So, uh, go ahead. What we're doing is we, we you know, when we use our, uh, we just have to remember when we've got three phase, we're not three phases. We've got three uh, items that we talked about. Talked about leader memory exchange, uncertainty avoidance, and social styles. Mm-hmm. As long as we keep them in perspective, it's not a magic bullet. Just because I know how to communicate with somebody, it tells me I need to slow down my con- social styles. Tells me I need to slow down my conversation. I need to be more focused. I need to be more open, whatever the other individual social style is that I want to communicate with. It tells me how to communicate. Social styles will tell me how to communicate. Uncertainty avoidance tells me how often I should communicate it. Right, right. Then leader member exchange tells me how, what order and what I should be communicating and when the different they should move to the different levels. So when taken together it's a, you're able to foster a strong relationship between subordinate and supervisor 
What advice, Guy, would you give to supervisors who are new to the leader member exchange theory? Well, to, to read to read it, it's not it's not a hard theory. As you can see, it was just three areas. But my advice to managers, and it's and this is the advice I would give myself if I could go back 30 years. Oh, always probably the best advice. Go you ahead. Know, if I could just sit me down and say, just because you're good in your field has nothing to do with you being able to manage. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Okay, you're a great locksmith. You're a great mechanic. You're a great plumber. Good. You make a great employee. But you want to manage? Okay. That's another commodity. Now you have to be a good manager. You have to be a good leader. You have to communicate effectively. So my advice is to follow, first of all, learn your social skill and the social skills of your subordinate. Okay. Okay. That can be done. As I said, at the, there's online tests you can take. All you have to do is Google social styles and a myriad of tests come up that everybody can take. Next, you can um, take what's called the, unce- you can learn, you can test for uncertainty avoidance. Okay. There's different uncertainty avoidance tests that you can take that deals with uncertainty avoidance if you just Google uncertainty avoidance, it'll come up with some tests. Sure. Then if you want to judge how your LMX is working out, there's what's called an LMX-MDM test. Anybody, if they want me to email it to them, my email is guy.robinson at asaabloy.com that you can give to see how you're working, how you're doing. Good. Guy, is there any final remarks or comments or thoughts you'd like to share about workplace communication? We've covered a lot of things. We did. We did. And I would, this is, this is all I can recommend. If somebody wants to email me or um, get in touch with me, uh, I can recommend books to read. Uh, But we said this in the beginning, there's no magic pill. You just say, oh, I got it now. I'm good to go. This is, you've got to put the work in. I said this when we discussed the different domains. The only downside to the relationship-based domain that you use LMX through, you've got to put the work in. You've got to study and understand the different social styles. You've got to study and understand the different ways to manage uncertainty avoidance levels. However, study after study has proven if you put the work in and do this, Everything increases creativity, productivity, motivation, and the number one item that increases that most businesses owners want to hear is retention. Uh, The the LMX increases retention above all forms of communication in the workplace. And that's especially in the locksmith business. Like I said, we don't have schools. It just we have a couple, but we don't have there's not a school in every city that puts out great locksmiths. Like you can go to mechanic school, plumber school, corporate. Right, school. right. Okay. Uh, Aside from Aloha having their uh their their one week locksmith training course, there isn't a lot out there. No, Aloha has a wonderful one. Uh, at Ass Abloy, we have Ass Abloy Academy. Yes. That, that we uh we give 
multi, we give classes and, and, the, and the instructors are, uh, I just glad they let me hang around with them. They're, they're brilliant, but you're right. Aloha has their school. Uh, Asaboy has Asaboy Academy. And, uh, and then there's not, but there's not a lot. There's not a year school to go to. No. Black Masters has an excellent school. Oh, they did. I haven't, uh, I don't know if it's, so what's going on with them, but oh, they still do training. Yeah. Uh, I remember I, uh, I sent an employee to Lockmaster State School one time. Best decision ever made. Mm-hmm. Well, guy, that was extremely informative and it was totally my pleasure to have you on and to share with our listeners all of your expertise. Thank you so much, guy. Bill, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm humbled that I was asked to do this. And I uh, and I will be glad uh, to do it again anytime in the future. And I'm uh, and I'm uh, and I'm, I'm just thankful y'all gave me the opportunity. Well, thanks again, and hopefully we will have you back again soon. Thanks so much for listening to Locksmith Talk with Aloha. As your podcast host, William Link. Until next time, stay well.